Hello and welcome to the Green Canary. Today on the show, we're going to be saying the words damn and hell a lot because we can and because we're going to be talking about the Hell's Gate Dam proposal, $5.4 billion there in North Queensland. We're also going to be talking about carbon credit controversies and what's going on there. Plus, we've got new protest laws that affect environmental protesters. We get an update on bleaching on the reef. I sound so chirpy, but that is not actually good news. Anyway, I'm Ant Sharwood. I'm sitting here with Elfie Scott, who is absolutely always good news. How are you, Elfie? <laughs> You're too kind to me sometimes, <laughs> Ant. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. I mean, I watched Will Smith slap Chris Rock in the face like half an hour ago, so I'm still reeling. But other than that, I'm fine. So you're the one person who still watches the Oscars. Well done, you. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into it. We don't need any more entertainment news. What we do need is environment news. And the big environment news story of the week is Australia's Emissions Reduction Fund, which has hit the headlines because there are massive problems with it that have been exposed by insiders. So today, Ant and I are going to be giving you a bit of a rundown on what's happened here and why it matters. Yeah, it's a, it's a big story, isn't it? And you lead, Elfie. Tell me why it matters. What's been going on? Okay, so this is a story that I thought I theoretically couldn't understand and still I, until I started reading about it. So give me a second, I will explain this. But basically what's happened is a whistleblower who spent years working on the integrity of Australia's of the Australian government's carbon credit system has launched an extraordinary attack on the scheme, describing it as a fraud that has wasted more than a billion dollars in taxpayer funding. And apparently it's also hurting the environment. So the person who launched that attack was Professor Andrew McIntosh. He's the former head of the government's Emissions Reduction Assurance Committee. And he said that the growing carbon market overseen by the government and the clean energy regulator was a sham. And most of the carbon credits that have been approved didn't represent real cuts in greenhouse gas emissions. Well done, Elfie. You got through that. You've explained that all. There's, a, there's, there's a lot of um, lingo and, 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 you know, words like assurance committee there. Yeah. In, in, in a nutshell, we are talking about forests that don't exist. We are talking about people going, oh, I'm going to uh, offset my carbon in this forest. Hello, there's no forest there essentially alleges uh, Professor Andrew McIntosh and his colleagues at, yes. at the ANU. It's, it's a very serious uh, sort of um, mess up in Australia's carbon trading economy. And, you know, I was, I was going back through the history of it this week and we might actually do a full episode, do an explainer, carbon, uh, you know, emissions trading. How does it work? But, you know, from day one, Australia's role in this has sort of been fraught. I mean, we were one of only two industrialised nations alongside the US that didn't sign up to the Kyoto Protocol in 1997, out of which came the world's first emissions trading schemes. And, you know, cut forward to the fact when we tried to get carbon pricing through the Senate and the Greens blocked it. It was actually the Greens who blocked it because it wasn't quite green. It wasn't the right shade of green. <laughs> you know, when it, you buy paint and you've bought 407, not 408, you know, back to the hardware store. Um, but we never went back to the hardware store, you know. So Australian uh, history is littered. Tony, Tony Abbott won an election running against emissions trading or the carbon tax, as, as, <laughs> as, he, as he called it. So, uh, look, this is just the latest, it seems to me, 
in uh, carbon trading uh, not going very well in Australia. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a very succinct <laughs> and passionate <laughs> rundown. But we should probably give the audience a bit of specific detail on the carbon credit system that we're talking about Please today. Do. So what it is, is known as the Emissions Reduction Fund. And through this, the government basically buys abatement of carbon emissions in the form of carbon credit units to incentivize businesses and individuals to adopt new practices to reduce emissions. And this was introduced back in 2011. So basically, one carbon credit is earned for each tonne of CO2 equivalent that's stored or avoided being released by a project. So say if farmers don't cut down trees on their land that hold carbon, that gives them the opportunity to get paid for abating those emissions. Or if an industrial process that produces methane ensures that that methane is captured, then they get paid for that as well. And there are a whole range of activities that are eligible under this reduction fund. And once carbon credits are earned, they can be sold and or put onto a secondary market to create income. So it can be very, uh, it can be like a great scheme for some people, but it it, seems like it's not working like it should. If it worked, it'd be great. I mean, it'd be absolutely perfect. It would um, clean up the environment. It would reduce emissions. It would um, have a market system operating that that benefited everybody. Uh, Unfortunately, what Professor McIntosh and his people have said is, is that the credits are, you know, quote, unquote, devoid of integrity. Mm. Um, they're, as I said before, getting paid. People are getting paid for, for forests that, that, you know, either didn't exist or, or you know, that... that Aren't regenerating properly yeah, on their yeah, land. Yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. There's, there's, there's all sorts of holes in it. So we should probably move on. But before we do, it's, it is worth knowing that this... This is a series of allegations for someone who's very, very well placed to make them. But a lot of what he says is refuted uh, by the Clean Energy Regulator, by Angus Taylor's mm-hmm. office. So there is a bit of he said, she said-ism going on here, although they're, they're, they're both he's he said, in this. He said. Yeah, he said, he said. But I think I think we're, we are getting to a place where, you know, Chris Bowen, uh, Labor's climate, energy and, uh, climate and energy spokesperson, has said that... Uh, if Labor manages to secure government in May, we think, uh, they're going to commission a review into the whole deal. Uh, the Greens have said they'll also uh, have a look at it. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, red lights have flashed from this episode and going forward, perhaps it'll have more integrity. Oh, I mean, we can hope so. <laughs> Who knows? All right. Let's speak about something else that has happened this week, which is the Hell's Gate Dam. Damn hell. I get to say that again. All well right. done. All right. And introduce us to this story. What is going on? $5.4 billion of your taxpayer money is what's going on. This is the um, well, a classic pre-election pitch from Scott Morrison. Mm-hmm. Unlocking Hell's Gates said. I mean, you just can't not run with some of those things. Uh, that was the, the ABC's headline. But um, look, it's a massive dam on the Burdekin River, inland from about Townsville in North Queensland. This has long been a dream um, to build these big inland dams way back since a thing called the Bradfield Scheme. You know, uh, conceived by Bradfield, who was the engineer who designed the Sydney Harbour Bridge. I mean, it has long been a dream to get water on the western side of the Great Dividing Range, especially in northern Queensland, irrigate dry land areas with and you know, with all that water that would otherwise just flow to the sea. How much water are they planning on being able to accumulate in this dam? 
Uh, I believe, Elfie, that in front of me it says 2,100 gigalitres, which means nothing to anybody, but it's four Sydney harbours. Wow. So, well, you, you know how when, when you describe like a, a field or, or something out there, you have to describe in terms of football fields? Mm-hmm. Well, it's actually a law that, you know, if you're a journalist, <laughs> you must... In Australia. Yes, yes, yeah, that's right. Quant- oh, and, and population always has to be, that's 50 MCGs that are totally full. <laughs> that's you know? so true. <laughs> but, but water always has to be Sydney Harbours. So, yeah, we're talking four Sydney Harbours. We're talking 7,000 jobs. We're talking 3,000... Oh, that's in construction. We're talking 3,000 in agriculture. There's no doubt this is a big, big deal Mm -hmm. uh should it happen but there are opponents aren't there yeah absolutely so it's probably worthwhile noting that there hasn't actually been an environmental impact statement on this made yet yes small little issue there so locals including politicians in the region have said that they're worried about what the impact of a dam of this size will do to the long-term health of river systems but they're also worried about what it will do to the great barrier reef because as we know The Great Barrier Reef is under a huge amount of threat, both from climate change and rising water temperatures, but it's also under threat from agricultural runoff. So creating this massive agricultural hub in northern Queensland isn't probably going to be a great idea, especially when we're looking at an already struggling reef. Yeah, so there are pluses and minuses. And then there's just the weird left field man that is Bob Catter. God bless you, Bob. You can always rely on (laughs) Bob Catter to actually just come. And, And Bob's comment is... Dam's not big enough. So he's even angrier at Scott Morrison than the environmentalists are about him putting $5 billion towards a thing that there's not even an EIS for. He wants another harbour in there? Another he wants <laughs> now, that would have been a good question. That's why you're a good journalist. It would have been good to go to the press conference. How many Sydney harbours do you want, Bob Catter? <laughs> that would have absolutely nailed the totally. issue. All right, let's move on. Okay, so we are also looking this week at a poll that was done by the Australian Conservation Foundation. And they have found, well, actually, they looked at about 15,000 people. Is that correct in this? It's an astounding amount of people that they uh, surveyed. And they basically confirmed that a majority of people in every federal electorate believe the long-term economic benefits of climate action outweigh any costs involved. Yeah, it's it's fascinating research. Look, this is the second year in um, a row that the ACF has done a thing they just brand as the big climate poll, I think, or Australia's biggest climate poll. Um, Last year, it was just all about our attitudes towards climate change, Mm. uh, drilling down into some of that sort of denialism and, and beyond that, but just attitudes about the issue itself. This year, it's more hip pocket focused. It's and not just your personal hip pocket, but the nation's hip pocket, if you like. Uh, how is it going for the cost of living for the Australian economy and also for your health and for future opportunities? What I find fascinating is the results are overwhelmingly positive. A vast majority of people says that more action by Australia on preventing climate change would be good for the economy. Vast mm-hmm. majority says more, a really vast majority says more action by Australia on preventing climate change good for your health. Vast majority says good for future opportunities for young people. Uh, I remember being one of them. And, uh, <laughs> Do you, Ed? And only just. <laughs> and a near majority, as in a minority, but only a small minority. It's, it's kind of 50-50, says that climate change, more action by Australia on preventing climate change would be good for the cost of living. Mm. Now, that would have been, I reckon, rock bottom a while ago. People are starting to understand that the renewable energy revolution is actually not a drain on the economy but but 
good for it. But shockingly good for it. (laughs) All right, let's move on to our mulch this week, which are those tiny little stories that we think are important, but probably not our headliners. All right, so my story of the week, Ant, Mm. I'm going to talk about the new anti-protest laws in New South Wales because you know that I get fired up about this sort of stuff and about harsher penalties. Well, yeah, I think that it's a fundamental right and also... You know, I understand people's frustration with climate inaction. Why don't they have the right to take to the streets? They do have the right, um, but as as you've pointed out this week, those rights are you could argue being infringed. Yes. So what is happening basically is that there are harsher penalties being introduced in New South Wales. Now, if you block a tunnel or a bridge in protest, you are you can be fined up to $22,000 or you can get two years imprisonment. So that was introduced less than a day after Blockade Australia, which is this environmental protest group that we know has sparked anger from the public in the past. They were staging all of these protests around Sydney. Lo and behold, it ends up with the harsher penalties being introduced in Parliament. Yeah, it's it's worrying. Uh, let the people protest. All right. Now, look, <laughs> most weeks this would be the lead story in any Australian environmental podcast, but it's kind of got that here we are again flavour. The, re- the reef is bleaching again. We we mentioned it last week. That's because the first scientific evidence was only trickling in last week. Mm-hmm. Now um, 750 sites have been surveyed. Thank you very much. So that's a very comprehensive overview uh, of the reef. And, um, you know, by, by the Mar- Great Barrier Reef Marine Park Authority, and yeah, there's there's bleaching everywhere. It is a match, mass bleaching event. It's either the sixth or the seventh one since 1998, depending how you count them. But um, it's absolutely bad news and it comes ahead of the uh, UNESCO visit. Yeah, yeah. So we are yet to hear the results of that UNESCO delegation, but I assume it's not going to be great based on what we're seeing at the moment. They could change the status of the reef. Yeah. Uh, they won't kick it off the list, but, but you know, it's it's concerning. Mm. Anyway, there's there's um, speaking. We should we should run them back to back. The the uh, protest laws things and the kids in the street. But thankfully. You are still allowed to protest. And what are the climate kids up to? Yeah, so young people around the nation. God, I hate using the term young people. It makes me sound so old. <laughs> but they've kicked off another wave of school strikes around the world. Um, so that happened on Friday. And here we had 30 of these protests around the country, gathering thousands of young people. It's the first action that's been seen since COP26 happened for the school strikers. And yeah, it's just fantastic to see. Um, Also, keep in mind that this is happening at most a couple of months out from the election. So I don't think this is going to be the last that we're going to see of the strikers in that time. It wasn't. And I loved loved the chant, ScoMo, ScoMo, you can't hide. We are literally right outside. That was the kids at Kirribilli House. Delicious. Not the greatest rhyme of all time. Speaking of of which, I think they should come up with a rhyme for uh, for climate. Um, We are really angry about climate. Something. <laughs> rhyme it. Rhyme it. I don't know. There's I can't do there. it. <laughs> all right. Well, that is all that we have time for today. Thank you so much for joining us. As always, we would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we're recording, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We'd like to pay our respect to elders past and present, as well as extend that respect to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people here today. Very well said, as always, Elfie. And I'd just like to extend my thoughts to the people of Lismore. Um, there's another heavy flooding situation involving, uh, sorry, evolving or happening 
uh, Monday into Tuesday this week. So, you know, we, we, we had uh, Eddie Lloyd from Lismore on the pod two or three weeks ago and been speaking to her today and they're very, very worried. So my thoughts are with those people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just everyone out there, you can talk to us like Eddie Lloyd does on Twitter at Green Canary Pod. You can have a little word with us on Insta, on Instagram, on at Green Canary Media. And if you want our newsletter, please email me at hello at thegreencanary.co and I will send you a newsletter that may or may not contain a free chocolate bar. Probably on the may not, but it's as good as getting one anyway. <laughs> That's a terrible election promise. <laughs> All right, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.